Okay, so today we're looking at the 1943 Batman movie, and we're looking at the 12th chapter within that movie, The Embers of Evil. And before we start, let me just give the customary warning that there is racism against Japanese people in this film. It starts off with credits, but we've already done credits in our first 1943 Batman movie, so we're going to skip that for now. When last we saw Batman, he and Robin were trapped in a house with a suitcase full of dynamite and another guy. Actually, we last saw the building they were in explode, but who knows if they were actually in it. And in The Embers of Evil, we get to see what they were doing right before the building exploded. As we watch, Batman finishes beating up the guy that we saw him finish beating up in the last episode and helps Robin up again. But this time, instead of seemingly running towards the door, they instead run towards a spot on the floor. It's mostly hidden by the top of the briefcase being up, but when Batman reaches down, he grabs onto this trap door and opens it. He and Robin jump down immediately. What was that, Batman? I'm pretty sure we would have seen a trap door before if it was there, but I guess it's there now. And they get down it right before the building explodes. Which makes me wonder how much it would actually shield them from the explosion. It's like one flimsy piece of wood, but I guess they got far enough into the tunnel underneath to be okay when the building exploded. Outside, Alfred sees the building explode too and panics. He jumps out of the car and runs towards the building. But he doesn't need to worry, Batman and Robin are absolutely fine, and pop out of the tunnel that the trapdoor led to right outside the walls. That is some impressively real-looking fake grass on the top of that trapdoor, guys. Dr. Duck and his cronies must be really good gardeners, huh? Batman and Robin stumble up the steps of the trapdoor and manage to get out. They stare at the burning building for a couple seconds. Glad we missed that, says Robin. And Batman's all, yeah, the car's over there. Batman, why are you laughing at this house blowing up? You killed the guy in there. They head back to the car, and Alfred must see them as they go, because while they're opening their door, he comes back and jumps in his door, and the three of them drive off back to the Bat's cave, presumably. But we don't follow them. As usual, we get to go check in on Dr. Daka. He doesn't know his secondary location has exploded, so he's having a good time with his evil counsel. Such a good time that he feels the need to call for a toast. He stands up and says, To the enemies of the New Order, may their fates be sealed as quickly as was Chuck White's. Then he also laughs to himself. In fact, the whole group giggles about how clever they are for a couple seconds before they drink their toast. They've only just barely finished it when the door buzzes and the flower flashes. Dr. Daka checks his screen to see that the person whose hand's on it has a little five medallion, so he lets them in. It's the three men who escaped the destruction of the secondary location, and they all take their hats off as they walk into the room. Dr. Duck is pretty mad at them coming in. He yells at them. Who allowed you to come here? He tells them they were supposed to be at the other location until they were notified. And one of the guys, a bit too jovially if you ask me, goes... But there is no second place now. It was blown up. And the other guy's like, yep, Batman showed up and called the cops, so we had to blow it up. And this big Dr. Duck is so angry, he snaps at them and tells them to say exactly what they mean. And while they explain, we leave them to see another part of Dr. Duck's hideout. 
this time it's the secondary doorway underneath the room they're staying in now. We don't see it often, but it kind of leads to the lab. They brought in the guy in the coffin through this exit like a whole disc ago. But there's a guy down there now, and he rings a bell, so Dr. Daka has to go answer the door for him, too. He goes over to check who it is on the little computer attached to his doorbell. And while he's checking that, we get to look over the heads of his evil counsel and, oh, that poor man. He should probably just shave his head. Having W's made out of wavy hair on the top of your head is really probably not preferable to being bald. Certain actors who I cannot identify going bald aside, Dr. Durka gets his phone and we see it's Bernie from the Sphinx Club who's just come into the second exit. So Dr. Daka excuses himself from his not-so-pleasant company to hopefully meet up with someone with a bit better news. He even gets mind slaves to open the door for him. Back down near the laboratory, he opens up the door, cleverly disguised. It's just a big wall made of dirt. And Bernie is finally let into the building. They do walk over to the laboratory to discuss important news in it instead of just standing by the doorway, though. The news is maybe not exactly what Dr. Durka hoped to hear. In fact, it's extremely unexpected news. Bernie's just found out that Marshall is alive and in jail. And I'm sure you remember Marshall. He's the one who told Batman where their secondary location was in the previous chapter. And Dr. Durka doesn't believe it because he's thought Marshall was dead ever since the mine explosion. Bernie, though, assures Dr. Daka that even though he didn't see Marshall, he spoke to Chuck White's bail broker, who was completely certain that was Marshall in the cell next to Chuck White's. In fact, he thought Marshall and Chuck White looked like the best of pals. Dr. Daka's astonished. He finally understands where Chuck White got his information about their secondary location. And by extension, of course, Batman, because Dr. Daka believes that Chuck White works for Batman. Bernie asks Dr. Ducka if he thinks Marshall should be sprung from jail too. And Dr. Ducka nods a little bit and says that he'll take care of Marshall. This would be a perfectly fine place to leave this implication of murder, but Dr. Ducka actually goes on for like a whole nother paragraph, implying he's gonna kill Marshall. And Dr. Ducka goes on to furnish Bernie with some suspicious cigarettes of a special brand to give to Marshall in jail the next morning but only after he impresses on Bernie that he is not to smoke any of the cigarettes himself. We get a close-up on the box, and they say they're called Medusa cigarettes, and they have a picture of Medusa on them. Not a real picture of Medusa, because we don't need Batman characters turning into stone. The next day, at police headquarters, Dick Grayson and Bruce Wayne are walking in to see if they can identify another criminal for the police. Dick is wearing a hat, which, again, he never does in the comics, and Bruce is wearing a light-colored suit. And I just remembered that this film is in black and white, and it makes me angry that I cannot tell what color his suit is. As they walk up the stairs to police headquarters, they almost bump into Bernie as he rushes out. He has to dodge around them a couple times. Bruce, of course, is able to identify him as Bernie from the Sphinx Club. Wow, Bruce, and I thought movie you could identify a single criminal without your bat criminal files. They think it's a little weird that he's in such a hurry, but they decide to ignore him and go in to talk to Captain Arnold. He is sitting in his office smoking a giant cigar when they arrive, and he has Captain Arnold emblazoned on his door in gold letters. He tells them that he needs help identifying this man Marshall that his best detective just picked up. Bruce leans in a little bit and he goes, 
your best detective? Captain Arnold Dahl. Mm-hmm. The Batman. And Bruce and Dick both kind of lean back a little, look at each other and go, oh. And Bruce says, I see, and grins. Yeah, Bruce, I was also preparing to get offended about him implying that any of his police officers were competent. And now I'm only just a touch offended about him claiming you work for him. After all, this version of Batman works for the government. Which I suppose the police do too. But independently of the police. They talk about how good an officer Batman makes for a couple seconds, both of them bluffing that they know more or less than they do, until Captain Arnold gets up to escort them to see Marshall. But right as they get to Captain Arnold's emblazoned door, another guy comes in. He has news about Marshall. He was just found passed out in his cell. They don't know what's wrong with him. So they all run off to see what's happening, including Bruce and Dick, which I think is a little unwise, but I can see happening. When they get to Marshall's cell, all four of them stand in front of it and stare in for a couple seconds until Captain Arnold walks in to check it out. He is indeed dead, but they don't know why. Okay, guys, I feel like now is the point where you send Dick out of the room. He's been aged up for the movie, so he's like 14 instead of 10, but I still feel like you shouldn't leave a 14-year-old in a room with a dead body. I can excuse Bruce a bit because he lets Dick around dead bodies all the time. But I feel like the police should be a tad more delicate. Even though they don't know why he died, Captain Arnold just guesses that it's a heart attack and gives it up. He says it's too bad because this is the guy he wanted Bruce to identify. And it's even worse because Bruce absolutely can identify this guy too. As one of the criminals who attacked him forever ago in like chapter 4 when Alfred was pretending to be Colton. Marshall confirmed dead the two police officers start making whatever preparations they need to to get rid of his body and just leave Bruce and Dick in the cell with him. But of course, that's good for Bruce because it gives him a second to investigate. And when he does, he finds this suspicious smelling cigarette on the floor. And we cut to some time later when Bruce and Dick are hanging out in their chemical lab. They're wearing their lab coats, which tie in the back for aesthetic's sake, but they're not wearing any safety goggles, which I feel like they should be doing if they're wearing lab coats. Bruce has this little machine out, and he's spitting some chemical in it. Dick asks if Bruce thinks Bernie had anything to do with Marshall's death, because he was at the police station, and he was leaving pretty fast as they were coming in. Bruce is like, yeah, I'm almost certain he did. And then he takes his chemical out of his spinny thing and pours it into another vial with the cigarette in it. It turns some sort of different color. I can't really tell. It's in black and white. But Bruce says that this is proof the cigarette found in Marshall's cell contained the poison. And since the guy died in Captain Arnold's custody, and Bruce is probably still pretty flattered about being described as the police's best detective, he decides to call Captain Arnold right away. Captain Arnold is sitting at his desk messing with a pack of cigarettes which might be the poison cigarettes when he gets the call. He's also got a cigarette in his mouth, but it isn't lit. When the call comes through, Bruce asks for Captain Arnold and then questions him about any cigarettes he found in Marshall's cell. They're actually right on the desk in front of Captain Arnold, and we get a close-up where we see they are indeed the Medusa cigarettes. Captain Arnold finally has the wherewithal to ask who is calling him, and Bruce says that it's the Batman. It's weird to see him introduce himself as Batman while just sitting around with his normal face, but he is talking over the phone. I suppose I can't expect him to put on the hood. 
Bruce, now that his credibility is established, tells Captain Arnold that those cigarettes were poisoned and that the poisoner was Bernie from the Sphinx Club. Then he hangs up before Captain Arnold gets a word in edgewise. Captain Arnold's all, hello, and taps on his phone to see if Bruce is still there, but he isn't. He finally gives up in consternation and goes to light the cigarette in his mouth. He's all, I wish I knew where that Batman gets his information. None of my boys could do it. And then brings his lit match to the cigarette in his mouth. Just before he lights it, though, he realizes that he's an idiot, snuffs out the match, and throws it away from him. Then he takes the cigarette in his mouth and looks at it in shock, as if he's just realized how stupid he is for doing that. What a gag to end our time with the police on, because now we're going over to spy on Dr. Tico Daka, as we often do. He's having another meeting with his evil counsel. And oh look, Mr. Fletcher has been kicked out of the front left seat. Looks like you're no longer trusted, Mr. Fletcher. I think they should still keep him in the front, though. He makes much better facial expressions than the guy who replaced him. Dr. Doc is holding this notebook-looking thing, and he says, According to the coroner's report, Marshall died today in his cell, and then he takes a pencil and crosses something out in the notebook. I guess it's a to-do list. But then he tells us that six of their members have died because of the activities of the Batman, so maybe it's a list of his employees and he's crossing off the ones that are killed. I mean, he did kill that one himself, but Batman was definitely a factor. So much so that he's become way too much of a problem for Dr. Ducker to ignore. Before he was trying to get radium and kill Batman, now he just needs to kill Batman. All this organization's time is now going to be dedicated to killing Batman. One of the guys is all, But Batman died when our second location was blown up. But, of course, Dr. Ducker doesn't believe him for a minute. Batman has fake-died so many times in this movie that Dr. Ducker doesn't trust it anymore. Besides, for all he knows, it's that organization of multiple Batmans running around. He's not entirely sure how they'd take out the organization if there is one, but he does have a solid starting point. Miss Linda Page. They don't know if Linda actually knows anything about Batman, but they do know that Batman always comes to rescuers. Right now, the plan is to kidnap Linda and then lure Batman into a trap that way. But how are you going to get Miss Page to cooperate with us, says the man sitting in Fletcher's old seat. Dr. Daka just laughs, though, and he pulls out his Mind Slave microphone, which we have not seen in forever, and calls in Linda's uncle, Martin Warren. He comes in just seconds later, and he's not wearing the standard Mind Slave getup of high-waisted slacks and a turtleneck. He's wearing a suit like a normal person, and a hat that doesn't match the suit even a little bit, presumably also like a normal person. Now, the plan is explained after that, but I think we can figure it out. And we fade out to Linda's uncle, not standing in the middle of Dr. Ducker's council room, but sitting in a car with another guy driving. They're wearing the same hat. They're sitting outside of the Gotham City Foundation. And when Linda comes out, the guy driving starts up the car. As she's walking to her car, they tear past her, going way too fast and honking the horn. She jumps out of the way, but when she looks to see who almost ran her over, she sees her uncle. Uncle Martin, she screams, then she jumps in her car and follows them. This was all Dr. Ducker's plot, and when Linda leaves, we see two more guys standing next to the engravings on the Gotham City Foundation, laughing about how this went just as planned. Then one says that they need to go scatter a few clues. 
and we cut back to Linda's car chase. The guy driving Linda's uncle around pulls up to this place called Ajax Metalworks and honks the horn at the wrought iron gate. Some guy comes up and opens it, and the guy driving tells him that Linda's right behind them. Then they drive on through. But we don't get to see Linda being captured. I'm not sure why, but instead of watching this guy catch her, we cut over to Bruce Wayne, who has just called Linda's house. I'm not sure why. I think she does most of the work in this relationship, but he has decided to call her today. She doesn't answer, but he tells the person who did to leave a message that Mr. Wayne called. And when he hangs up the phone, Dick makes fun of him for getting stood up. Maybe she took Chuck White on a date. But it turns out Bruce did not get stood up for no reason, no. She's left a message. She had to go meet her uncle at his old metalworks factory. I don't know if she could have left that message, seeing as last time we saw her, she was caught in the car chase. But okay. Bruce thinks that's a little suspicious because her uncle has still disappeared and his factory's been closed since he went to prison. Dick thinks it's even more suspicious that when Linda got in touch with her uncle, she didn't phone and tell Bruce. Yeah, I wonder why she didn't do that, Bruce. Maybe it's because you've been completely unsupportive of her this entire film. But for some reason, Bruce does not come to this obvious conclusion. He thinks he needs to go check it out, being a jealous suitor and all. A few minutes later, Bruce Wayne's car with Alfred driving pulls up to the Ajax Metalworks Company. And Bruce and Dick are checking it out as themselves, not as Batman and Robin. Apparently it's not that suspicious yet. Bruce goes up to the wrought iron gate by himself and calls out for anyone inside. There is a guy in there that comes out, obviously an employee of Dr. Ducker's, who tells Bruce that Linda was here, but she left about ten minutes ago. That's the way with me, always late, goes Bruce. And then the two laugh together, even though what Bruce said wasn't even a joke at all. He's always late with Linda. Honestly, Bruce, how can you be so prompt as Batman, but so bad with time as Bruce Wayne? The two part ways amiably, but after that, they both go to confer with their little groups. The guy Bruce talked with ducks back behind a corner of the building where there are two more guys waiting. He tells them that this wasn't Batman. This was just some dressed up dude looking for that girl. And they guess that he's probably her boyfriend and got the message they left on her answering machine for Batman. Back in the car, Bruce tells Dick and Alfred that the guy there says Linda's been gone for 10 minutes, but then he points to her car just sitting on the side of the street. So he's obviously lying, and they need to dress up as Batman and Robin and investigate. Now, I'm sure it's very obvious to all of us by now that it's a trap, but Linda's only there to lure Batman in. Now, Bruce doesn't know what he's going to find in the building, but we get to have a sneak peek inside when we see Linda sitting in a room in a chair, being guarded by a thug sitting backwards in his chair, as all degenerates do. Linda, turn your chair around as well. I know it's difficult to sit backwards in a chair wearing a skirt, but you could just sit with your legs sideways and still look at him over the back of the chair. She doesn't seem to be in any real danger. They're not threatening to hurt her or anything. They just want her there so that Batman can be lured in. And it's totally working. Outside, Bruce has just put on his Batman costume. Dick's dressed up too, and together they run off to find another exit to the building. They find some little door in the wall at basement level, which might be some sort of coal chute? I'm not sure. I know in the 40s, houses had all these doors on the sides 
for different things like ice and coal. Either way, Batman and Robin have found an entrance to the basement and they go in. They look around a bit, but it's really just boxes. Linda's not being kept in the basement. They immediately beeline for the stairs, but when they get there, they must hear some guys walking around above, because I know they don't see them. They're in the wrong spot. So instead of just rushing up into danger, Batman and Robin are going to have to be sneakier. Batman takes some sort of dynamite stick-looking thing out of his belt and sets his own trap. This isn't actually an explosive, it's some sort of smoke bomb, and when he lights it on fire, it starts spewing smoke everywhere. On the first floor, the thugs have split up to watch for Batman better. One's watching the basement, another's watching the first floor, and the last is going up to the roof. The guy watching the basement doesn't actually go down into the basement, but he does watch the stairs. Watch the stairs-ish, he's, he's not even looking at the stairs. Dr. Darker, where are you finding these guys? Chuck White was a much better hire, even if he was trying to foil you. Even though the guy is not looking at the stairs at all, he does notice when a huge cloud of smoke comes up them. He does not immediately think it's Batman, though. He thinks the building is just on fire, which I think was Batman and Robin's plan, so good for them. Apparently, this building is an especially flammable building. One of the guys says it'll go up like paper if they don't set that fire out. So all three of them run down the stairs. They turn on their one classic down light and discover that there is no fire, just a smoke bomb. And while they look around for who set the smoke bomb, Batman and Robin jump out from behind some containers they were hiding behind. Batman immediately tackles two to the ground and Robin tackles one too. But oh no, the guy Robin tackled had a cigarette. And as Robin tackles him, he drops his cigarette on the oily rags, setting them up into a huge wall of flame. Just immediately. By the time the guys hit the ground, there's a three-foot fire burning behind one of the boxes. Now, the fight does continue for a couple seconds, but Batman does soon realize that this place is an absolute tinderbox and they need to get the fire department here as quickly as possible. So, he sends Robin to go call them while he tries to find Linda and beats up all three thugs. Don't do it, Batman. You can't handle them by yourself. Robin immediately rushes off to call the fire department, and Batman is still stuck fighting his three thugs. Fortunately for him, the guy guarding Linda doesn't want to go up in a fire either, so the second he sees smoke, he grabs her and they both rush to leave the building. Job kinda done for you, Batman. After we find out that Linda's well on her way to leaving, we check back in on Batman, only to find that he is completely put and in the few seconds we left him, he's been knocked out and is laying on the ground while the other two thugs run away from the fire. I knew you were going to be useless, Batman, but I did not expect you to be that useless. Two of the thugs rush to leave the fiery basement, with Batman still on the ground, but fortunately for him, Robin has successfully called the fire department, and fire engines are on their way. At least two of them. Back in the building, everyone is left except for Batman and one thug. The thug is trying very hard to find a way to leave. Batman is running around like a loon screaming for Linda. Batman, there's a big fire in the basement, and you already know that Linda's not there, so you should leave. Immediately. Go check the roof or something. God. While Batman scrambles around, parts of the building start coming down on them. The final thug scampers out the exit that Batman and Robin came through, but a big piece of burning building is between that and Batman. Batman does eventually give up on his fruitless quest to find Linda, fruitless because she left the building about five minutes ago when she and the guy guarding her realized it was on fire. And he heads for the stairs. Finally. 
Oh, but immense bad luck. As Batman runs up the stairs, a humongous piece of burning building falls right where he was standing. Wow, Batman, your enemies weren't even actively trying to kill you that time, and they still managed it. I cannot say I'm as impressed with movie Batman's fighting abilities as I am with comic Batman's fighting abilities, but I suppose I'm just being picky. I mean, it's not like I can beat up three thugs. Or even one thug. Anyway, that's where we leave Batman, trapped under a piece of burning building. Let's find out what's going to happen in the next chapter. First, we see Dr. Ducka messing with a big piece of machinery on a tripod. Mr. Fletcher's also there looking on. There's Daka with a new and larger radium gun. And he has the radium to make it work. Then we see Robin running around on a street next to two shops. One that says, Try County Grocery, and the other that says, Sid's Music Shop. Can Robin find the secret hideout? Don't fail to see. Eight Steps Down, Chapter 13 of Batman, at this theater next week. The end.